Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two. One. Here we go, guys. Dudley, thank you for finally coming on in here. Yeah. Good. I yeah. needed a couple more sips of coffee. Yeah. Did you have your eggs and everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. good. Here, here we are. No doubt about it, turkey season has ended here because I am busy as I can be. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. I was ready for it to be done, really. Mm. Well. I don't know if I was ready, but, you know, it's always good to close the chapter and start, you know, working on stuff or uh, putting the shade house up at the nursery, so I've been getting. It's actually a little sunshine this week, so lots of lots of activity over there. Um, I still got a chapter going. I'm not closing my book just yet. <laughs> oh yeah, you're travel. You're going to travel, aren't you? Well, well, just for a few days. We'll, we'll keep holding it down for you while you yeah, turkey well, hunt across please. the country. I've been here the whole spring. <laughs> I, w- I will say I'm a little jealous of these people that somehow can just turkey hunt for three months straight across the country. But yeah, I don't know how they pull that off. Yeah, those guys and those guys that follow these concerts everywhere and just go. I'm yeah. just jealous you know, of you, Dudley. Yeah, you get I mean, here at nine thirty. Yeah, and what is that? That makes me. Yeah, it makes me jealous too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Hey, but, but let me tell you something, Bobby. Go ahead. I'm working on the nursery over there. You you let us borrow. You know. This, this, I'm going to call it your LS tractor. Well, it, yeah, it, it's our LS tractor. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, they brought this unbelievable fleet of equipment and there was this little bitty one. You know, and, <laughs> and I was like, Bobby was like, this is perfect for Bobby. And, and you bragged on it. But let me tell you what, I spent some hours on that thing. That is the handiest little, and it's not really that little, but it's it's one very useful piece of equipment. And it runs like a top. Like a top. Well, uh, it seems like in recent times, uh, tractor companies, including LS, are making these smaller tractors that are more powerful. Yeah. Um, and heavier, even though they're smaller, so they can... They can do a lot more work in a smaller package, and the beauty of it is, is you can put them on a trailer. You just need a little gas burner truck. You don't have to own yeah. a big diesel anymore, yeah. and you and can get a lot of work done a lot with of a smaller done. package. You really can. And that one's four-wheel drive. I think that helps as well. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's handy as it can be. So I'm going to keep on barring it. I'm going to get back <laughs> to you eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Did All you right, use guys. the little belly mower on you it? used the little belly. You know, before I left the nursery, Dave, of course, was like, hey, can you, I mean, can you use the mower while you're here? And I'm like, oh, okay. But no, we've been using the backhoe attachment in the bucket. Uh, and just, it's just handy as it could be. So anyways. It is. So so can I put my name in the hat? For, yes, yeah. you can. I don't know, yeah. Rich. Can, can I, I think it's going to my house. Then Dave, I've got to drop it off in Prairie. Okay. And then I think we can get to Caledonia with it eventually. Yeah. 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 I, look, I'm going to say, Rich, the new soundboard needs to be hooked up. 
that we well, purchased six months ago well, well, before well. you. Hey, we, we got all systems going right well, now. Everything's working. It's yeah. working right now. That's, so wait, Yeah, that's not jinx. Just keep, keep our fingers crossed. And Yeah, but Richie, LS, your house. All Ready right. To go. Well, look, okay, let's keep this thing moving. We yeah. got guests on the phone, and, but but I wanted to hit on Blood on the Biologic, which yeah. is brought to you by LS. You guys got anybody you want to bring up? Because I got a good one. Do you have a good one? I, the only thing, one I can remember is my, my good buddy, old uh, Mac Thatcher over there. You know, he came in and uh, I have to tell you, uh, a guy told me, is actually Ken Ivey said this, you know, when one of your buddies kills a turkey, you know, you're, you're, 98% jealous and 2% happy for him. So mm-hmm. we we're very happy for Mac Thatcher right there. Buddy. Yeah. So you're, you're, in you're that not ni- happy. You're in that 98 to No, I'm 2% happy. Yeah, okay. Well, I heard you slam his door the other day. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just a little well, jealous. Well, congratulations, Mac. So did anybody in this room tag out? That is, I've quit putting that as a success for my season yeah yeah no, probably five, four or five years ago nobody tries anymore i not any i mean i used to, that's all i was worried about i can't know. remember the last time i tagged out when's I, the last I time you tagged get, was that, i used last yeah, year yeah, bobby last year? okay uh, <laughs> but i knew i was gonna get that my point is that we all love turkey hunting but there's a lot of other fun stuff you can do out there and uh well, it's, it, I it's think not it, really all about tagging out. No, I just enjoy the hunt. You yeah, know, that's what it's you about. You don't have to kill one to enjoy. No, it. yeah, and we're, you know, look, we were lucky. We got to hunt a lot when we were younger too. So a lot of us are in, you know, with these our kids and spending time with family. I'd really, you know, that's just where it's yeah. at. So. And Dudley's living proof. You don't have to kill one to have a good time. That's right. That's no, exactly he's right. living proof. So I wanted to call out Ava Paradise, thirteen years old. I hadn't with, heard about this. With her back against a tree. Kills a – the picture is just gorgeous. The turkey's huge. As they got as, some big old turkeys they, in Ohio. They, do. they, they really do. Chris Paradise's daughter up there, it was a fantastic picture. So congrats That's to awesome. Congrats. Love to hear that. Um, yeah. I saw where my young buddy, Ryder Russell, got one up in Missouri. Uh, his dad is Ryan Russell. Oh, yeah. Who was our oak nerd. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He knows more about oaks than I do. That's and, that's uh, saying a lot. <laughs> he helps us collect seed. He's like found all these state record trees and Ryder uh is is good at the outdoors as well. He's got a little page called Missouri Arrowheads. Ah. Y'all ought to check it out. Is he, it on the ground? He finds some heaters and stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Oh yeah. Oh, and speaking of ninety eight percent happy, two percent je- I mean ninety eight percent jealous, two percent happy. Your buddy Riley Payne got on the board one more time too. He sure did. He sure did. Look at look at how much he's grinning over there. Is that I'm, green? I'm, That's I'm the not. green grin. No, you know, blind hog finds an acre every <laughs> once in a while. Is what they say. So wait, wait, where are you going? Uh, it's an undisclosed location. Okay. So let go. me just say this. Hercules, the land of Hercules. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. We know we're going. Somebody's the only one that gets an invite up there. Yeah, well, you know. So look, let's let's move this thing move along. This thing I can sense right. that it's going in a bad direction. Today we're gonna talk about ticks and Lyme disease and and uh white tailed deer. It, 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 yes. Things that we all look, yeah. I'm I really worry about ticks. I go to a lot of effort. I think about it all the time now. It's probably I think about ticks more than I do snakes. I just do. I'm more afraid of ticks than snakes. Yeah. That's for sure. And I tell I'm I, you know teaching my kids how to use the mirror to check different places and you know be sure they don't have them on. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, In fact, after our buddy Blake Hamilton almost died five or six years ago. Oh yeah. Uh, 
It took me a while to feel comfortable being out in the woods. Well, I'm not going to lie. Well, you're hearing uh, not only about Lyme disease, you're hearing about alpha-gal and these, you know. And when, like, when we talked to Dr. Demarius about the life cycle of a tick, ugh. Yeah. So if, let's, that, if that doesn't get you. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and introduce our guest yeah. and get, get this thing started. So we've got Dr. Stephen Rich. And he's a professor of microbiology, uh, and he's also the executive director of the New England Center of Excellence in Vector-Borne Diseases. Vector. Vector. This guy's really smart. So, uh, Dr. Rich, we appreciate having you on. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. And then I think, guys, and and I'm just going to go ahead and try to introduce him, but I think Dr. Lyon Brown is is, – Lyon, are you there? I'm here. All right. There There he is. That line, is it true you missed a turkey this spring? Yeah, it's uh it's a pretty embarrassing story. We'll we'll spare the <laughs> listeners. I'm here, I'm not I'm here on the pod, not for my turkey skills. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, Dr. Rich, what we're hoping to do with uh with, with Dr. Brown is uh we may not understand some of the things you're talking about. And and he's he's kind of a local guy, a, a, a medical doctor, and we yeah. were just trying to kind of help understand and and maybe ask the best questions that we could. So uh, that that's what our intentions are. But so yeah, we were listening to the radio. Back to the subject. Sorry for button in there, Bobby. But I think we we're listening to the radio and heard about this this study that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Rich, could you kind of tell us about there's the latest information that you seem to have been able to some research that you've done? Yeah. So we've known for for quite some time now that it, it's a little unusual, but ticks don't ticks need deer to reproduce. In fact, that's where they reproduce on the backs of, of deer. But what's curious about it is that the deer don't maintain the, the bacterium, the germ that causes Lyme disease. And in fact, there's something about deer, and we've known this for a while, there's something about deer that kills the Lyme disease bacterium. Hmm. And that's been a bit of a puzzle for us for a while. And the experiment you're thinking about that was recently published, we went in and we found that it's It is actually something in the blood of the deer. We don't know precisely what it is yet, but there's something in the deer, white-tailed deer blood that kills the agent of Lyme disease or the bacterium that causes Lyme disease. And so people are pretty excited about that, as are we. Gosh, when I, just hearing that, it like gives you hope that there's some kind of, maybe on the horizon, there's some really good news. We know several people that have had Lyme disease. Multitude. and, uh, and a multitude of that, and, and I guess it, vector-born, would that be – is that tick-born? Tick-born, yeah. Tick-born, yeah. Uh, lots of illnesses. We've had dog. – you've had a dog mm-hmm. that was on the just – On his deathbed. And, and uh, they finally determined that it was a tick, mm-hmm. something with a tick was mm-hmm. going on. So, sure boy, ticks are just a, a major issue. And you know, does it seem like there's more ticks? Do- doctor, I'm, I'm looking at you. You're here on Zoom, but – can you talk a little bit about ticks and how we can help protect ourselves a little bit? Yeah. So we say there are more ticks in more places. That's what what we all know. So those of us that are of a certain age, remember a time where parts of the country were just, there weren't ticks in the past and now they're, they seem to be virtually everywhere. So the best things you can do are personal protections. So you can get DEET, for example, and spray that on your skin the product we're really uh, like very much there's a bunch of different brand names of it, but the the active ingredient is called permethrin. Mm-hmm. You can buy scan, cans of permethrin. And I always tell people wherever you can buy ammunition, you can buy permethrin, <laughs> um, hardware stores, et cetera. 
and you just spray your clothing with this. It's called an acaricide, which just means it's a pesticide that kills ticks. And it will provide protection for sometimes up to 30 washes of that of those clo- of that clothing. Um, so you put it on your socks, you put it on your, your boots, you put it on your pants. And what happens is the ticks get on. And when their feet touch that fabric, they're poisoned and they, and they die. I like the way that sounds. Well, I know Dudley's been a big advocate of it for a long time. Yeah. I, um, there's so many ways you can get it. I usually buy like a quart of it in a 10% solution. And I believe you mix it down to a half percent solution, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and treat my clothing with it. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different products. So if you go in, in an av- average feed store, you'll see just walls and walls of products of permethrin. Some of them are formulated to go on horses and livestock. There are some that are specifically engineered to go onto fabrics. And I'd encourage you to find the ones that go onto that. Usually you don't have to dilute it at all. It comes in a either an aerosol can or a pump spray. And um, the directions are right on the back of the bottle on how to put them on. There you go. Hey, Lyme, if you're still there, could you talk to us just a little bit about Lyme disease and if there's there may be some listeners that don't know just how bad that is? Yeah, I'll be happy to. Kind of to touch on what they mentioned earlier, you know, how we're seeing ticks more and more everywhere. Lyme disease specifically, you know, as you learn about it, as far as mostly classically, endemically, it's not really going to be in our area, you know, just kind of you know, particularly him being from New, New Jersey, New England states, that's where you're really going to see Lyme disease, preferably uh, mostly there in the Midwest. But it it's spreading. And over the last five years, you're seeing more and more Lyme disease cases in areas where you wouldn't expect to see it. You know, there's all kinds of ticks. We really deal with, um, you know, the ticks down here is going to cause a little bit different type of tick-borne disease than Lyme disease. But Lyme disease, of course, is the most common it's the most uh, serious as far as it can cause the longest, you know, manifestations and you can deal with, you know, diseases and, you know, manifestations of disease for longest in Lyme disease. Really, when you think of Lyme disease, you're going to get symptoms in really three separate phases. A lot of the times you're going to see the people that see a tick, they go hunting, maybe two or three days later, you feel like you you've notice you have a tick. And then those people, and if you can remove it within 72 hours, most of the time, you're not going to really deal with any symptoms. If you do have any symptoms at all, it's going to be, you know, muscle aches and fevers. Um, if you, you'll, you know, you'll see the classic bullseye rash they always talk about. It's called erythema migrans. Um, most cases end, start and end with that. And you know, it's pretty mild um, situations. You know, once you see those things, once you have the history of having a tick, and you start noticing fevers and maybe the rash, you can take an oral antibiotic and it usually knocks it out pretty good. But when Lyme disease gets serious is when it's really, you start having symptoms longer than four weeks, or maybe that you didn't notice the tick for the ticks been there for, you know, a week or two, even then you're going to start seeing more concerning symptoms that starts affecting your nervous system, your heart. You can, it can start causing arrhythmias and make your heart slow down to where it could cause, you know, stroke and heart attack. You could, develop meningitis and and symptoms that look like you're having a stroke as well and uh th- that's what that's the main worry when it comes to Lyme disease luckily most cases don't get there and even if you do get to that point you know we you can transition to IV antibiotics and you know take them most times up to four weeks 
and it, it's got a pretty good cure rate for that. But that's why Lyme disease is so is so prevalent is because it is the most common and it could possibly be the most dangerous as well. Mm. Is it a bacteria or a virus or or what is it? A uh, bacteria Borrelia burgdorferi is the is kind of what is being transmitted from the tick. And then once it's in your bloodstream, then you treat it like it's antibacterial, like with antibiotics. So yeah, to answer your question simply, it's it's a bacteria that's transmitted from the tick. Wow. So, Dr. Rich, when you're up there, kind of ground zero for Lyme disease in New England, where you're in Massachusetts, how long have you guys been, has this been on your radar, and have y'all been studying it? I've been studying this since 1992 when I was a graduate student and continued those studies throughout. So, in 1992, which is... Uh, 15 years or so after the first reported case. So the disease takes its name from Lyme, Connecticut, where it was first identified Hmm. in a group of kids. Um, And at that, you know, for 15 years or so after that, it was mostly restricted to coastal New England. So areas of Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island sort of hugged the coast very close. There was another focus in the upper Midwest and in Northwest Wisconsin, but not widespread like we've seen today. And in the 30 plus years that I've been working on it, we've just seen it spread inward, southward, northward, basically in every direction. There are more ticks in more places, and everywhere they go, they carry this bacterium that Dr. Brown was referring to that that gets into you and then causes diseases in you. And I'd also emphasize that it's not just that one bacterium. There is the one bacterium that causes Lyme disease but not to scare people, but there's a whole host of different bacteria and viruses that are transmitted by the same ticks. So we sometimes refer to it as a constellation of threats that come out of this individual tick. Mm. And that is that the, the Lyme disease is uh, this Borrelia uh, genus of bacteria. Is that only carried by one species of tick? Yes, it's carried almost exclusively by the black-legged tick, which is also called the deer tick. There's a Western version of it in California, uh, Rhode Island, uh, sorry, California, Washington, and Oregon. But here, east of the Mississippi, it's um, it's one tick called the black-legged tick. There are three species of ticks that bite people, primarily the, the dog tick, the black-legged tick, and the lone star tick. But only one of those three is associated with transmission of Lyme disease. Wow. And and so do you think that Lyme disease has been around for a long time or is it a relatively new thing? It's been around for a very, very long time. And we know that because we can look at the DNA and we can see that it's very that it has a very ancient association with ticks. It's a very good question, though, because there's a group from, I think, I think they may have originated from New York that were proposing that maybe this was something that was developed in a, in a military laboratory as a weapon and then released. And there's really no evidence that that's, that that's the case. This is pretty clearly something that's been around for a very long time, um, predates uh, European settlements in, in, in North America. And in fact, it's spread throughout, um, throughout the Northern Hemisphere. So all the way across Europe and, um, and Asia and North America, we see prevalence of, of these ticks transmitting these diseases. So interesting. Do you think it is, is it more prevalent now or have we just not been 
good at diagnosing and and keeping records? Were people dying of just something mysterious that was never diagnosed or attributed to something else? Yeah, you're asking all the great questions. So the answer to both of those is yes. There's more of it than there ever has been. And what's going on is there are more white-tailed deer than there ever have been historically. More white-tailed deer means more ticks. More ticks means more Lyme disease. Um, So there's, there's much more of it than there was. And there's much more being reported than there ever was. And still, with around 40,000 cases reported annually every year, which exceeds the number of, for example, HIV, new HIV cases in the world or in the country. Um, but with about 40,000 cases, we realize that that's probably one in 10 actual cases. So 40,000 cases get reported, but probably closer to 400,000 people are suffering from these infections. Wow. Holy. Great questions, Dudley. Great questions. Okay, I've got one more. <laughs> um, you know, you were you were mentioning that there is something to do with the uh, the white-tailed deer or, or deer in general, where uh, I guess they don't get Lyme disease or they're able to fend it off. Uh, is is there like a demographic of humans? Uh, you know, Native Americans were here a long time ago, and they were around white-tailed deer. Um, are they more apt or, I mean, less apt to getting Lyme disease? Has anybody ever done a study on that? No, there's no evidence of ethnic differences in susceptibility to Lyme disease. And in fact, there's lots of other species that have been around for a long time. <clears throat> the white-footed mouse, which is very important to the main maintenance of that transmission cycle. They've been around for a long time, too, and they don't have resistance to this. In fact, they're the primary source of infection for other ticks. So deer, something special about deer blood, we think it's something called a complement factor, part of the deer's immune system. Um, and it's somehow resolved or, or evolved a resistance to this um, to this mechanism that shuts down the immune system and every other species that the ticks bite. Wow. So, so do you think that mule deer uh, w- would be resistant as well, and elk? Mule deer, sick deer, um, yeah, lots of different cervids. We don't know about moose. Um, and offhand, I don't know about elk, but yeah, most of the the um, cervid species are have this this phenomenon. Dr. Rich, I have a question for you. If that's all right, Bobby. Yeah, please. of course. Yeah, I mean, I was reading through your paper and the and congrats on your research. It's very cool what y'all have done, and to be the first ones is it says a lot. Um, I guess my question, kind of on the you know the medical doctor side of things. I imagine the next step would be is, you know, trying to figure out what mechanisms exactly is involved with kind of why this is working. And um, I mean, I know it's early and how confident are you in thinking that this is some sort of way to be able to translate it to treating humans and maybe at least inducing some sort of prophylaxis or, or whatever, how you, way you think we could use it. Yeah. So before I answer that question, I want to ask a question that you didn't ask, but maybe some of your listeners will be thinking, like, does it help to drink deer blood or can <laughs> I deer blood on my body or something like that? those we, things are, are what we're proposing are going to be. Evermectin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't, we didn't want to uh, make you think we have, I hope we didn't uh, misrepresent that we have a lot of listeners here. <laughs> <laughs> but guaranteed some of them would think about drinking deer blood. <laughs> well, they're not going to get any benefit of protection from Lyme disease. But yeah, the, the answer to the question is our our hope is that we can pin down precisely what that factor is in the deer. And again, we're not going to propose to turn people into 
into having deer blood factors. But we are hoping if we can identify the specific mechanism, then we can identify some pharmacological agents that can mimic that that performance of what the deer are doing. So if we can make our immune system do what deer's immune system is doing by some enhanced chemistry, then that's the that's the hope that we have. Okay, yeah. Hey, the my, super white tail. Yeah. My non-medical mind was thinking something similar, just like you know, you get insulin maybe from something or whatever, but you're isolating like a gene or something that you could give to a human and cause them to not be infected. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, so I guess to build off of that, um, if I may, Bobby, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um you know, I guess, yeah, you know, now we've, you know, I've mentioned, you know, just, you know, most Lyme disease doesn't get to the point to where it's, it's too harmful. I guess the next, even if you figure out how to do it would be what kind of patient population, you know, we're using it prophylactic in endemic areas. Or are you, is it become a treatment for someone who's maybe had symptoms for a prolonged amount of time? Because I was kind of thinking, you know, I haven't done the research like you, but the subset of patients for, I guess, for the listeners as well, that don't know. A lot of people suffer for what they've even have a diagnosis for now called post Lyme disease syndrome to where there's really no explanation that's been figured out. Basically, someone has had Lyme disease in the previous six months, nine months, two years even that still wake up every day with aches and pains and fatigue and kind of almost some weird neurological type stuff, some confusion. And there's no other reason to, you know, there's no etiology to it other than that they've figured out maybe there's some prolonged, you know, something going on with the DNA or whatever that's causing these symptoms. Um, and you don't do anything for it. You know, there's no role for antibiotics then, which is how you treat Lyme disease. So just kind of me brainstorming. I was wondering if maybe if, if you, we, we get to the point where we get using this in humans, I wonder if that could be something that would maybe could benefit those patients. Yeah. Always the hope is that you get more tools in the toolbox, right? So it's going to be a multi-pronged approach. There are some horrible cases about people that have these long-term um, consequences, long-term symptoms. Um, yeah. The, the hope is that we would have just one more thing that if this doesn't work, you got another tool that you can try. That's the best we can, we can hope for. So, uh, Dr. Rich, I, I'm sitting here itching just listening to I talk about the same thing. I'm just wondering, are you around ticks all day long in a lab somewhere? Does one ever slide home with you and you're sitting there eating supper and all of a sudden he crawl out on your neck or something? So I am a college professor, so I teach students. So I was in class the other day and I wasn't talking about Lyme disease, but I was talking about disease and I I walked into the room and I set up my computer and I was about to talk and I put my hand on the back of my leg just to scratch something and I felt something there. And sure enough, there was a tick on my leg underneath my pants. And so I described what is probably also useful public public information is there's two ways you can find ticks. One is with your eyes. Someone mentioned that. But the other is you've got these things. You've got your fingers. And Someone had mentioned that they have their kids looking at different parts of their body with a mirror, which is also good. But, <laughs> I don't think we uh, said kid. Yeah. I, I, no, I was teaching my kids. I mean, you know, you got to check places. Uh, okay. I just don't want to get a lot of emails yeah. about that. Check themselves. <laughs> you, can them. you can feel them. Yeah, yeah you, you can really feel can. them. I can feel them when they bite me. I mean, so yeah. it either feels like a bead of sweat going down my leg That's or a tick. Crawling, and yeah. there's, there's very little difference in that feeling. Mm -hmm. So I, I always check that. Yeah. So did you get up one out of class? And, yeah. 
So did you get up and run no, out of I class? No, I took one for the team. I carried on the class, and then I I shot out of there and went home. And you're a warrior, team. yeah. <laughs> Any of y'all like back when you were dating in high school, ever, you know, kissing on your girlfriend and run your hand through her hair and find a tick? I'm sure um, you did. Actually, <laughs> of course. There was a guy in my forestry class, and his nickname was Tick because uh, you have a great tick. On he him? was, you know, having a a kissing on his girlfriend. And he felt a tick on her back and and pulled it off. There you so, go. Good for him. Tick, if wow. you're listening. Yeah. Did, Miles, he, I tell you. did he slip it off secretly or did he tell <laughs> I, I can't. It's been so long. I, I tell you what. I mean, I'm going to go and tell you, you know, your wife plays a good role in looking at ticks on you. I mean, you know, so you got to get them ready for that. <laughs> okay. Well, um, <laughs> I don't know where to go from here. Uh, what about like the different life stages of ticks? Can they all carry or, or can they all transmit it um or does it have to be the older stages so there are three stages there's a larva a nymph sort of a baby a teenager and then an adult tick so the the babyest of the ticks the larval ticks they're born without infection so they have to acquire infection by feeding on a mouse so if you're lucky enough to be fed on by one of those ticks that's about the cleanest tick you can get because it has not fed on anything else to pick up that infection. They say the most dangerous tick is the nymphal ticks. That's the one in the middle. And it's not more dangerous because it has a higher likelihood of infection. It has about a 25% chance that that tick has the bacterium in it, but it's more dangerous because it's smaller and it's more likely to feed long enough on your body so Uh that you get the bacterium. The adult ticks can also transmit, although the adult males don't feed, only the adult females feed. What are the layman's terms for those stages? We we always call them seed ticks. Yeah. Is that where you were going, Lenny? That is where I was going. You read my mind, Dudley. You know, I don't always know what people mean by seed tick. I think they sometimes just think of ticks as some ticks are smaller than others. Like dog ticks are larger than, than black-legged ticks, so I'm not sure what people always mean when they see seed tick but the scientific basis we call them larvae nymphs and adults okay so does the larvae look like a very very small tick or is it uh it, you know looks so like a little the, worm or something yeah well, so that that nymphal tick the middle one it's about the size of a poppy seed that you'd have on a you know poppy seed on a baked item or something and larval ticks are smaller than that and you wouldn't be able to see this without a lens or a, or a magnifying glass, but they only have six legs. That's the way we distinguish the larvae from the others. Ticks are not insects. They're actually more closely related to spiders. And so in the adult forms and in the teenage forms, they always have eight legs. But that little tiny larval species has uh, or, or stage has um, six legs. Okay. So I would assume that we refer to seed ticks as both the, the two earliest Stages. I would think so. And typically with seed ticks with us, it's not like you, there's one of them. You run in, you, you're going across a field or going through some brush and you look down and there's literally hundreds of them, you know, that you can barely see coming up you. What is the family name for that the ticks are in? So ticks, the, the ticks, the black legged ticks are in the genus Exodes. Okay. And the tick that you're talking about that you see in those big bunches, that's probably in the genus Amblyoma. The common name for that one is the Lone Star Tick. It's also known as the Turkey Tick. You guys were talking about turkey turkey hunting before because they did seem to favor um, turkeys in the past. 
uh, and you see these in great numbers. And, and the difference between them, a fundamental difference between the black-legged tick and the lone star tick, the black-legged tick is a very passive tick, actually. It fall, it climbs up to the top of a branch. It waits for you or a deer or your dog to walk by, and then it grabs on. Lone star ticks, they're more aggressive. They'll walk across your, your picnic blanket and, to get on you, and they're much more aggressive feeders, and they'll come in these big groups like you were describing. I, I believe we have a lot of those in the southeast. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the one that has the white dot on its back? That's why they're called a lone star tick. Some people okay. think it's looks like the state of Texas. Yeah. Hmm. This making you itchy now, Bobby? I'm, I'm scratching <laughs> yeah, everywhere. It, it, it is. I'm, I'm thinking very hard about them. Lord have mercy. So I'm my question, and I think you may have answered this, Dr. Rich, but why are there so many more ticks now than there there used to be? Is there anything you can point put your finger on? Yeah, it's the white-tailed deer. So the black-legged tick in particular won't breed virtually any other place except on the back of a white-tailed deer. So as juveniles, they feed on chipmunks, white-footed mice, squirrels, etc. But as adults, they only feed and they only start their families on the back of a white-tailed deer. And the preponderance, the, the density of white-tails are just so much higher now. Just to throw some numbers at you, one female fed tick can lay two, two to 3,000 eggs, and one white-tailed deer can feed several thousand uh, black-legged ticks. So you've got one deer, thousands of ticks, 3,000 eggs. You've got an instant problem when, you, when they're introduced that way. But the, the, the small ticks or the, the new ticks aren't infected. So they've got to leave that deer. And the reason I'm kind of getting around to another observation I've had over the past few years around here with specifically with field equipment, leaving equipment in the fields. Uh, we, I think we've got a rodent problem too. I think there's a, an increased amount of those in areas. Is that where they get the, the actual bacteria, bacteria from? So, hmm. yeah, most really from the white footed mice. In fact, Remember, that was the, the study we did. If, they, if the tick feeds on a deer, it won't get infected. This is the weird thing about this cycle. If, the, if there were only white-tailed deer and no mice, we wouldn't have a Lyme disease problem. We'd have tons of ticks because they breed so well on the white-tailed deer. But if we didn't have mice, it wouldn't introduce the infection. So I don't know what anybody else's field well, observation are. And it's directly related to, again, leaving equipment in fields and they're eating the wiring off of it. Mm. It's just been. My truck. Well, I don't know your truck white, got them in it. You know, I mean. You know. I don't know if white-footed mice inhabit tractors and truck engines, though. I don't know. They do. They do. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I'm wondering <laughs> if, like, the habitat has changed over the years. You know, uh, there's not as many frequent uh, fires in the, in the far, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe the habitat has changed to allow the white-footed mouse to proliferate more than it has, or maybe one of its predators is uh, fewer in number. I don't know. We got more deer, obviously, and it seems like we have more mice. I, I, yeah, more about the deer. I think the white-footed mice—they're always pretty abundant, and they—they they adapt pretty well. They live paradomestically. So if you get a—if you see a, a mouse in your in your kitchen, it's probably a white-footed mouse, not a house mouse. They'll live virtually anywhere. Um, what's really changed is the way we manage landscapes that facilitates the proliferation of the white-tailed deer. So here in New England, everybody loves nice stone walls and, and manicured lawns with nice edge habitat on, on the forest. That's perfect habitat for deer, mm-hmm. and they're more abundant than they ever been. And well, less hunters, frankly. Yeah. yeah, no, that's good. That's what we're working on down here. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's very encouraging that you guys have isolated this or, or realized it and 
I mean, I guess this is how cures are, oh, yeah, come yeah. about. And, you know, we're so amazed by the whitetail, you know, and there's just another uh, gold star by the old whitetail for us. So, uh, Doc, it, that there's probably some questions that you said, well, if these guys have any sense about them, they'll ask me this or that. But is there something that we haven't asked that, that, that it's a part of this story? Well, you started to touch on something when you were talking about the tick, feeling the tick like a bead of sweat. There's a great um, thing to think about there is that ticks not only um, transmit pathogens or germs or bacteria, they also induce allergies. So what you're probably experiencing, I, I have this a bit myself, when you feel a tick on you, you probably are somewhat sensitized. So that's your sort of an allergic reaction in a favorable sense that your body is telling you, I've got a tick on me and you feel it and pluck it off. But on the downside of that, there are allergies that can be associated with tick bites that can really be debilitating, things like the alpha-gal allergy or the red meat allergy. And still a lot to be understood about that. It's it's primarily associated with the lone star tick, not the black-legged tick. But what happens is you get bit by a tick, the tick introduces what looks like a sugar that's present in red meat. Um, and it induces an immune response in you so that the next time you eat red meat, you have allergy to that red meat. Um, and it's, for some people, it's, it's quite debilitating, like not just a, not just like a, a stomach discomfort, but people actually go into anaphylactic shock and have really strong responses, not to the tick, but to the uh, red meat that they eat after they've been exposed by the tick. So, Doc, I want to – you can't see him, but Mac Thatcher's here with us. He's our fact checker. But Mac's mother has this alpha gal. So, Mac, I'm sure you've got a comment. I do. Uh, and the the random thing about my mom uh, having that allergic disease is there's about six or seven other people within our neighborhood or their neighborhood that, they grew, that I grew up in uh, that also has it. And I was curious if – that disease is, you know, hosted in, you know, ticks in a certain area more prevalently. And then what percentage of ticks carry that disease as well as what percentage uh, of ticks carry the Lyme disease? Yeah, I wish I had a good answer for you. But since we don't even know precisely what it is, whether it's something that uh, the tick picks up when it feeds on the blood or whether it's something that the tick is producing itself. We don't know precisely what it is. And we don't know absolutely that it's only associated with one tick species. But the best indication is that wherever there's lone star ticks, that's, so that's throughout the Southeast and now upwards into the north Northeast and, and upper Midwest, whatever those lone stars are, people have a, a susceptibility to this. It's not it's not clear why not every tick bite ends up in the situation like your mom's unfortunately ended up in. It could be that there's something about your your mom's makeup, like maybe she has a genetic susceptibility to that. Could be something that's different about the tick that fed on her. We, we don't know. We need a lot more research in that area to, to pin down exactly what's going on. But a lot of people are suffering from it, and it's uh, it's a growing problem. To kind of touch on what he was saying about the Lone Star Tick being the most prevalent one that's going to be you know, transmitting the alpha gal that we see. At the, and like I was mentioning earlier, here in Mississippi where we live and Alabama, this local areas that we associate with people – I think that's why, I mean, growing up before I was even, you know, med school, you always hear a lot more about alpha-gal than you do Lyme disease. 
And that's probably because that we're dealing more with Lone Star tick down here and not with the deer tick, you know, that's going to be the one passing the Lyme disease. So I always thought that was pretty interesting, even though we know so much less about alpha-gal. That's why I feel like it's more prevalent here. We hear about it more because of the tick. So, uh, uh, Dr. Rich, just anecdotally, I, I had a guy um, that I was visiting with, Lanny, I, I think I t- shared this with you, mm-hmm. that son had alpha-gal. He's from Amory, and he, ha- and he had it really bad. And this man just dedicated his – he just kind of shut himself down for a few months and started to figure, tried to determine what his son could eat. And he found out – I mean, he had – they went to M.D. Anderson, and he found out that his – you know, he had alpha-gal for sure, but he could eat uh, venison if he made sure there was no – there was no fat in it. They, they cut out all that silver meat or whatever, mm-hmm. and he said we, we just – processed our own venison just as carefully as we could and he could eat that without any problems but he couldn't have and and they he determined that it was fat was the problem that was caught that was it, causing the problem for his alpha gout now that may have just been him and i don't want to be spreading anything but i'm looking at at, at, at these two doctors and just have they heard anything like that not me no i haven't heard any you know that's that's a really interesting case especially the fact that he was able they even broke it down to the whether it was meat versus fat. But no, I haven't heard anything like that. I'm not sure there's much out there about what parts of meat may be more, you know, tolerated with patients with alpha gout. And Dr. Rich may have. So yeah, we work with allergists. Uh, Scott Commons is the one of the people that first identified this phenomenon. And one thing we know about allergies in the immune system is how little we know about them. Mm-hmm. You can become allergic to almost anything. It sounds to me like th- th- that individual might have had an allergy to something other than alpha gal. It amounted to the same thing, but um, yeah, I haven't heard of anything where an alpha gal was specific such that it didn't um, have a reaction with with uh, with deer meat. Um, but yeah, our immune systems are allergies in particular are are a really weird beast. Yeah, Lanny, you look like you had a comment. Yeah, Dudley and I have talked about this a lot. It seems like some people are getting some relief from alpha gal through uh, homeopathic treatments like acupuncture, and I guess that speaks to the complexity of the immune system. What's going on with that? Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, there's all kinds of things that people try to to reduce the effects, and, and in some cases they're self limiting, meaning that. Um, in time, the symptoms seem to subside. And again, why that is, we don't know. Why some people's persist longer than others is, a, is an open question. But the, some people have it so bad that it's not even just what they eat. They even report that um, products that have, you know, shampoos or cosmetics that have animal byproducts in them as a, con- as a consequence of their manufacture, that people have reactions to those. So mm. not only are you allergic to a cheeseburger, but you can't use a certain shampoo. Oh I could do God. without the shampoo, but the cheeseburger is pretty essential. Now. Look, I look, I, Dr. Rich and I will attest shampoo is overrated. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what's so interesting about this is, uh, I mean, like I was looking at all of your pubs and like you said, they go back to like 92 and, and uh, there's other folks that have been working on this almost exclusively and there's still just so many unknowns out there. It's It's almost like in alien disease that we can't quite get a hold of. Uh, so uh, I guess we need more folks going into this field and, and trying to learn more. Uh, it's, it's fascinating and scary at the same time. 
Mac, you got a question? I do. <clears throat> Lion, I got a question for you. So a lot of times when people probably listen to this podcast or getting bit by ticks is either, you know, in their garden or during turkey season, but you're also tired. You've been walking around a bunch and you're getting bit by ticks. So what are some factors to look for that you might want to go get checked out for Lyme disease? Cause I mean, I'm pretty tired and achy during turkey season and get bit by <laughs> ticks, but I don't think I have Lyme's disease. So like what would be some things that you would suggest people to look out for as symptoms? Well, the thing we encourage people to do is to keep that tick because the tick sort of serves as a record of what exposures you might have had. Some ticks transmit Lyme disease, others don't. Some seem to be associated with alpha-gal, others aren't. And there's actually 21 or 22 different things that have that arrangement that some ticks transmit some things. So the best information you can have about a tick that bit you is that tick. And so um, Dr. Brown alluded to the fact that you get bitten and then some weeks later you can get a, a, a test. It's important to remember that if I get bit by a tick today, it's going to take a few weeks before my body generates the, the immune response, which is the thing that's going to be used in the testing to determine if I have Lyme disease. However, the tick that I just took off myself, that can be tested today. And there's services across the country where you can test, send that tick and they can tell you this is a tick that's associated with alpha-gal or this is a tick associated with Powassan virus or whatever else is out there. And so that information is very, very valuable because when you get to the point where it's the end of the turkey season, you knew you got bit by three ticks and you've got these aches in your knees that maybe it's just because, because you're getting older now, but maybe it's because of something associated with that tick. You can go back to that tick sort of as an archive and have it tested and they can determine whether you had an exposure that your doc would want to know about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to touch on that, I mean, we, we're pretty confident through studies that if, that, if the tick, that tick's been on you for less than 36 hours, it's almost you almost have zero percent chance of developing Lyme disease. Um, so if you basically you're in the shower that day, you know that you don't have a tick, you go turkey on that morning, that afternoon, the next morning you see that you have a tick. And you pull it off, you can be pretty confident you're not going to develop Lyme disease or really even any symptoms. Um, and like going, and if you do have that tick and it's been there a while, and just like Dr. Rich says, you don't know what tick it is, you lose the tick. Um, you know, if you go see a doctor based on even if they know the tick's been on, was on you, you can be pretty confident it's been there for three or four days. You could even get a single dose antibiotic kind of like a prophylactic dose that should take care of most symptoms. And if, even if you don't do all that, at least 80 to 85% of people with Lyme disease is going to develop that bullseye rash. And that's going to develop within two to four weeks. Even if you're having these non specific symptoms, like you're saying, Mac, you know, fatigue and aches and pains. But if, if you don't see that rash and you're still worried, you just you know you're a worrier and it's been four weeks and you still haven't seen that rash, you also feel pretty good that you're, you do not have Lyme disease. So that's kind of the kind of the order to look for things. Is that rash around the tick bite area or just could pop up anywhere? Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Most cases it's going to be, you know, you could think about the bullseye of that rash being where the tick bit you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you can also develop multiple rashes, you know, multiple pulls out rashes around your body, but feel pretty good that the first one at least almost guarantees is going to be where that tick bit you. Hmm. 
Tick bites are yeah, gross. But, I mean, they, oh, dude, the whole life cycle of I mean, a tick is gross. You get bit by a bee or an ant or yeah, a get stung. That's it cool. It goes away, yeah. but the, a tick bite, I mean, it just festers for months sometimes. Yeah, and then think about what they've been eating on before they get on you. <laughs> <laughs> gross. Mm-hmm. Dr. Rich, uh, so uh, being that you're in Massachusetts, uh, have have you have you been bitten by any of these ticks that are carrying Lyme disease and ha- had to take any precautions yourself? Yeah, I've done. I've been bitten by many ticks over the years, and I've done what Dr. Brown described the, the prophylaxis. So I, I call up my doc, and I'll get a two two day course of uh, of antibiotics and take the. It's called doxycycline. Oh yeah, good stuff. That's <laughs> the idea. Is yeah, it's the idea is to hit it before it really takes hold. I've never. Knockwood never had infection. I've never had Lyme disease, never tested positive, um, but I have been bitten by a lot of ticks. Yeah, well, we sure are glad that there's people like you out there in the world studying this kind of yeah. stuff. Let's pretend there's somebody listening to this and they might be going to, you know, to, to give a tick check to their girlfriend and they find she's got a, a tick. Mm-hmm. Hey, Lyme, is that your bookie calling? <laughs> <laughs> Now we pat out on Tuesdays. <laughs> okay. Well, so let's go. So, so we find she's got a tick. What's the best way to remove it? As a child, I was, a lot of people told me you could put Vaseline over them and or they dawn, would back out yeah. or you could light a match and then don't touch, burn your girlfriend, but, touch that hot yeah, match yeah, yeah. and the tick would back out. What, what's the latest way to, then the best way to get a tick out? The best way to tick the, to get the tick off is with a fine pair of tweezers. So if you can get down close to the skin and you can pluck it off. But we always tell people, just get them off as quickly as you can. So if you're out in the woods and you don't have your tweezers with you and you can get a fingernail and get that thing off there, pull it off. What you probably hear, and it's a myth, is that if you pull the tick off and the head breaks off or if you squeeze out the contents or any of those number of things, those, none of those things are biologically true because, well, for one thing, ticks don't have heads. They're, they are gross, but they don't have a head. They have just sort of mouth parts that they stick into you. And if those mouth parts get separated from the body, by definition, you killed that tick. The tick's dead. And dead ticks don't transmit Lyme disease. As soon as the tick is dead, it stops transmitting. For the same reason that Lyme brought up that they have to be on you for a certain length of time, there's a very... Um, a biological process that they have to go through. And then when they're dead, that process doesn't carry through. And the idea of squeezing them, people worry about, well, if I pluck it off, I might squeeze things out. They actually have a block in their pharynx. So in their throat that doesn't allow them to regurgitate. So they don't, things don't come back out. The only way things come out of the tick into you is through the salivary glands. And once the tick is dead, the salivary glands aren't going to, and you can't squeeze them. They're not, they're not, sacks that can be squeezed that way hmm. so get them off as quickly as you can find pair of forceps i carry one around with me when i'm out in the woods if i'm hunting or out going to be out in a tick country or when i'm out collecting ticks i carry a little tweezer in my back pocket and pull them out that way and if i don't have it i just use my fingernail and poke them up well this guy knows a lot i, I bet you're a lot of fun at a cocktail party everybody's asking you all kind of interesting questions <laughs> Yeah, but they itch when they ask them. So, yeah. You know. yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear. Did you hear him say hunting? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we have a a, a kindred spirit That's there. exactly right. An amateur, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we got Mac here. He's uh, And then we got Dudley on the other side. So, we're Lanny and I are kind of surrounded by some amateurish. Mm. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you, Richie. Appreciate you throwing me in there, Bobby. <laughs> oh, me. Well, uh, 
Are there Go any ahead. other tick-borne illnesses we need to discuss? Uh, I know we were t- mainly going to focus on limes uh, and deer, but are there any we ne- others we need to be afraid about? There's two others that are relatively common. Unfortunately, they don't have nice names. So one is called anaplasmosis. It's named after the bacterium that causes it. Um, it's unlike Lyme disease, it's actually a bloodborne infection. So it infects the cells that are part of your immune system. Um, and that makes it particularly insidious. And then there's a second disease that's transmitted by the same black-legged ticks called babesiosis, which is a malaria-like illness. Again, gets inside your, your blood cells um, and can lead to these bloodborne infections. The real downside of Babesia, none of these are a cakewalk, right? But um, the downside of Babesia, the malaria-like illness, is that it it's not susceptible to doxycycline. So you can't treat it with antibiotics because it's not a bacterium. And you need a treatment that's more akin to the types of treatment that people would get for malaria. Good. Yeah. Gracious. Luckily, like you said, anaplasmosis and there's another one, ehrlichiosis. You treat both of those with doxy, just like you would Lyme disease, as well as the southern born tick uh, illness. You know, like he was talking about the Lone Star tick. All those tick diseases, even Rocky Mountain spotted fever, you get from ticks. All those you treat with doxy. So, like he was saying, bring in the tick a lot. But if you come into the office, Mississippi, you say you're born that I mean, bit with a tick, and you have these symptoms, you can throw doxy at it, feeling pretty good that it's going to cover whatever tick it was. And like he said, the interesting thing about babesiosis is that you do treat it completely differently, um, very similar to malaria. Boy, I didn't realize ticks carried all that. It just makes me just uh, dislike them even more. Well, I mean, I I treated my clothing with permethrin uh, right before turkey season, and I only pulled one tick off of myself the whole season, and it, it hadn't even bit me yet. So it's pretty good. Yeah. So I hadn't had one tick this year, knock on wood, but I've been wearing the, you know, our friends that uh, at Game Hide have that Alimitic, right. mm-hmm. and I've been wearing Alimitic pants with that. They've, it's got something already baked into it mm-hmm. and it works. I don't get any ticks on me. Well, on the other hand, I've had several, but I hadn't do, didn't do anything. So uh, that's probably why it was. But Mike, luckily, what about no. you? I didn't have a single tick, uh, tick on me until this past weekend and I pulled. Three off crawling, one that's uh, sunk its fangs in me. Fangs. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> yeah, we hate him. Stuck well, him. So I'm looking at the screen. Uh, Dr. Lyon Brown, thank you for joining us. We, we know you've got a busy day and you took some time out to jump yeah, on thanks here for with being us. Here. You had your bookie call. I enjoyed it. Lanny Dudley, good to see y'all. Yes, sir. Always I'm good to see you. Join y'all in the, in the booth. Come on. Usually about this time, we kind of turn it over to Dudley, and he asks our guests a few questions that we try to learn a little bit about you. And I think he's got some questions prepared. And then after that, we've got another trivia question for you that we'd like to ask. Okay, so Dr. Rich, um, we call it rapid fire. So uh, I'd like you to answer them pretty quickly, almost like a game show or something. And I, I try to I try to make these questions based on where you're from and, and some of your hobbies. Uh, I only knew uh, that you were a uh, doctor that specialized in uh, insect type pathogens. So uh, not a whole lot to go off of, but are you, are you ready? So let me say this before we get started. 
So the rapid fire is brought to you by Springfield Armory. That's right. And uh, they're, they're our friends there. They make some fantastic pistols and, and also some uh, some pretty high-end uh, uh, AR-framed black rifles. Oh, nice. Like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, our, our young protege out in the warehouse, Riley, has been <laughs> testing one of the Springfield rifles, and he really likes it. Oh, Working good. on the feral nice. pig population. Yeah. yeah, he's got a good scar on his forehead from... Uh, it thumped him. <laughs> <laughs> so I digress. So, Dudley, turning it back over to you. Okay, so uh, are you ready? I, yeah, I'm a little nervous, but yeah, I'm ready. All right. Marcus Camby or Julius Irving? Marcus Camby. Johnny's Tavern or Bistro 63? Oh, my goodness. Johnny's Tavern, for sure. <laughs> Lobster roll or clam chowder? Clam chowder. Hot tea or iced tea? Hot tea. Chicken. White meat or dark? Mm, dark. Would you rather go to a cabin on a lake or Martha's Vineyard? Uh, Martha's Vineyard. Okay. Hunting and fishing or camping and exploring? Hunting and fishing. There we go. All right. Oatmeal or grits? Oatmeal. Basketball or hockey? Hockey. (laughs) And last but not least, shampoo or shampoo plus conditioner? (laughs) Uh, Shining compound. (laughs) Great job. We've got another trivia question that we want to ask. Uh, and look, here the way this thing works, if you get this qu- – one of our listeners have left a review of the podcast, and if uh, and we randomly select them. If, uh, so we're play- if you get the question right, the listener wins a fabulous prize. If, 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 he, if you get the question wrong, you get to send them a bunch of ticks through the mail. <laughs> we're playing for – all red 601. Not sure what that means, but he left us a review. And uh, so he's got a chance at winning these Leopold sunglasses. So the question is, and uh, and I'm looking around the room. I'm going to pass these, pass a little something around the room here. But uh, the question is, where were Fig Newtons invented? So I would go in Massachusetts. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Whoa, he got it. Yeah. They were invented in Newton, Massachusetts. Well, I'll be. Well, I thought we'd teach people something there. Yes. I, I thought that and would be. And you got be, some samples here. I brought some samples, some Fig Newton samples. I figured that that was like a source of pride for people from Massachusetts. <laughs> well. Yeah. Apparently yeah, not. Sounds familiar. <laughs> well, I tell you that they're loaded with calories. My wife informed me this morning that because I ate about a dozen of them last night, and she said, "You know, they're fifty calories apiece." Yeah, it's nothing but sugar and carbs, basically. Natural sugars, though. Uh, Doctor Rich, we've enjoyed having you for sure, and uh, it, it's it, listening to all this. It's it's kind of scary. I, you know, it is kind of scary. I still think about how cool the whitetail is. I mean, that's what's so cool to me about it. I mean, yeah, ticks. Obviously, we're going to have to fight them. Hey, but you know what you can do? Burn. Burn in the summer. Isn't that right, Dudley? Burn in the fall. Well, yeah. You know, Dr. Marcus Lashley et al. has been working on these studies. And, and you know, a lot of controlled fire can reduce the tick populations. Yeah. So use permethrin and, and don't not go outside. That's what you, that's obviously not what to do. Yeah. I, it was Dr. Rich's nodding his head, shaking his head. So have you heard about the, I mean, there's like a, the, these fires, these prescribed fires is helping with control the tick population in areas. 
Not so much here, no, but um, but I always think you know the more people know, the more people listen to shows like yours and hear the information, you always make better decisions when you have good information. So yeah. we don't make good decisions when we're fearful. We don't we don't make our best decisions when we're scared. When you're running away from the beer, the bear, you're not making as good decision as when you know what you what you're up against. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's good a, good, a good way to look at Speaking it. Speaking of running from the bear, so what? Tell us a little bit about yourself and 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 your hunting. What what's going on up there with you? Oh well, I grew up in upstate New York on on Lake Ontario, and grew up with my dad duck hunting. Dad used to take me out before he took before I went to school and before he went to work. We'd go out and duck hunt all through the season. And then later, he got me into deer hunting when I was uh, when I was an older older individual. Um, I fell away from it for a long time, but it was always a way of connecting with my dad who passed away in 2022. But um, now I'm carrying it on and teaching my son how to deer hunt. And, nice. Yeah. Oh, that, and, yeah, that, that is that's good. That's awesome. So is that where you guys are hunting? Is that the Adirondacks? It's west of the Adirondacks. It's uh, kind of sandwiched between the Adirondacks and the Thousand Islands. People think it's Canada, but it's far, far north. Mm-hmm. I bet y'all have some good deer up yeah, there. Yeah, it's a big old white tail. Beautiful up there. up there. Yeah. A lot of deer up there. A lot of deer. One of the biggest military bases up there, Fort Drum, is just loaded with deer. But yeah. no turkeys. None up there. There's turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know they're safe from Dr. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A good one. So, uh, so look, I'm going to sign you up to get our Gamekeeper magazine. I think you'll enjoy that. You can pass that along to, you, uh, to your son. And then I'm also going to get your shirt size, and we're going to send you a companion shirt. It's a, uh, nice. the, the companions is a, something new. Some of the Mossy Oak websites you'll see. It's an old brand we revised, and it just there's some wonderful casual clothing there. So, uh, we really appreciate having you. You sound like you are really on top of things. We love having smart people on and learning from them. Yeah, it's been my pleasure to be on. Thanks for putting up with my accent. No, that was great. Not very much of an accent. No, no, uh, no, no. And we did learn a lot. You, you do a really good job at putting it in terms that us uh, common people can understand. So I appreciate that. Great. All right. Well, uh, thank you, sir. We really appreciate it. Lanny, we always, I always ask, what'd you learn? Uh, you know, I kind of hit on a little bit. I just continue to be amazed. I've always been infatuated with whitetails and just, you know, how they make it. So anyways, it's really cool to think about how they could have a profound effect on something that's, you know, is really impacting America, especially outdoor enthusiasts in a positive way. Mm. Was that pontificating enough? Yeah, that is. And it, <laughs> and it gives us hope that, I mean, smart people like Dr. Yeah. Rich that are out there working on this and yeah. they find little breakthroughs and maybe this just opens up another door and, and inspires. It's really intriguing. It really is. And uh, if there's any young folks out there that are wondering about what they want to do in school, you know, whether it's wildlife, fisheries, forestry, whatever, uh, entomology is always out there in the in the medical field. And, and maybe you could tie the two together and uh, add to the list of, of people that are researching this. There's, there's a lot of unknowns out there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Well, so Mac, you got anything else to add? Get dicks off of you when you get them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I got one. I'm, on me, I'm right? going to the, I'm going to the mirror when we get done just to be sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I tell you what, I've enjoyed it. I feel like we learned something. And, Absolutely. Uh, we, we certainly had some great guests. And uh, we might end up needing to get Dr. Rich back on. It sounds like this is going to be something ongoing. I want oh, to yeah. hear some updates for yeah, sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, why don't you uh, say goodbye, Dudley? 
Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.